We are in Jeremiah 33, um, verses 14 through 26 today. We're going to take the next four weeks um, and uh, look at some themes related around Christmas, hope and joy and peace and preparation uh, as we await the new year when we will move into the New Testament, as is our tradition here. We look at the Old Testament and the New Testament Um, alternating, and so we will move into the New Testament after the first of the year. But for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some themes surrounding uh, the Son of God who came to be the light in this world. And today we will look at the theme of hope through the eyes of Jeremiah and through his words as found in Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 26. Once again, hear the word of the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promises I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it, by which Jerusalem will be called the Lord, our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor will the priests who are Levites ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars of the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not noticed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two kingdoms he chose. So they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. This is what the Lord says. If I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed laws of heaven and earth, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David my servant and will not choose one of his sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. Let us pray. God of light and life, we come to this word today seeking light in a dark, dark world. We are bowed down under the weight of life in this place, but we live in the hope of your advancing kingdom. Fill us with a knowledge and hope of promises fulfilled. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah was accused of being a doom and gloom prophet. And yet, despite threats and punishments from the king, he he preached a word of judgment and repentance. And in reality, that is the job of the Old Testament prophet. While at times they did have some future telling, some foretelling of what was going to come uh, in the future of the people of God, Most of what the Old Testament prophet proclaimed was a message, was a call 
to repentance for the people of God. God would not bring judgment upon his people without warning. And as he saw them leaning, oftentimes running toward idols, God would send men who were moved by the Spirit to proclaim God's holy standards and to call the people to repent for abandoning the law that they had promised to uphold. And Jeremiah was called to minister to Judah near the end of their existence as a kingdom. He was called to proclaim God's call to repentance to a nation whose king and citizens were marked by idolatry. And these people often neglected the call that the prophets had placed before them. However, in the middle of this book of prophecies, Jeremiah has a four-chapter section that many commentators call Jeremiah's Book of Consolation. God rarely had his prophets proclaim a message of doom and judgment without also giving them a message of hope, a message of restoration and promises of comfort. Our passage today ends this four book, this four chapter book of consolation. And Jeremiah wraps up God's promises of hope, God's promises of restoration with a declaration that God will keep his promises. He goes on to summarize that God has eternally established the throne and the priesthood and that God is always at work despite our external circumstances. First, God declares that he will keep his promises. Here at the end of this four chapter section on consolation, we we see this reality that God is a promise keeping God. He opens up this passage in verse 14 with the phrase, the days are coming. And these are, this is a phrase, these are words that Jeremiah uses 16 times throughout his book to make a point. Seven times throughout the book, he makes the point that God is coming in judgment upon his people. He will bring the nations upon them to punish them for the sins of idolatry. But the other nine times he uses them, this time included, he uses them to declare that God is coming in rescue and in restoration and And in reality, that's something that we really need to take to heart. As we are talking to people about the the reality of our Lord and Savior being born, taking on flesh and living among us, we need to, to come balanced with this message of God's judgment and God's grace, of God's call to repent for sin and God's declaration that he will reconcile to himself those who repent. We get so out of balance sometimes when we declare God's gospel. We either move to hellfire and brimstone, which at times has its place, but we either we either focus too heavily upon God's justice or too heavily upon God's grace. And we need to have a good balance of both because we don't know what we need the grace of salvation from if we don't know what we are called to repent from first and foremost. And in this passage, God declares that he is coming for restoration and that he will keep his promises to save his people. That word given to us there, save, is a word that in in the beginning of its usage had the idea of, of rescue or deliverance. If you were trapped in a house that was on fire and the The fireman came and got you safely out. We could say that the fireman had saved you. But as the word gained use in the pens of David and in the prophets, it became to have theological and 
and restoration type overtones. In Psalm 51, verse 14, David cries out to God, save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Later on in Psalm 79, verse 9, Asaph cries out in these words, Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us or save us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 23, Ezekiel links salvation and atonement for our sins. David and Asaph cry out to God to save them from the judgment that their sins deserve, while God through Ezekiel says that he will save the people from their sins and idolatry. This theologically developed sense focuses on the relationship with God that has been reconciled despite the sinfulness of God's people. The temptation you would face as an Israelite hearing Jeremiah speak would be to think that, yes, we are under siege. Yes, our our kingdom, our city, our homes are going to be destroyed, but God will bring us back here. And while that was true, you would do yourself a disservice if you didn't see God's much more important promise that he would save you from the judgment that your sins deserve. God even goes so far as to rename his city, the Lord, our righteousness. You see, the Israelites didn't merely need to be restored to their home. They needed to have a righteousness that was not there covering over them. See, Isaiah 64 tells them, it tells you, it tells me that the best righteousness I can muster on my own before God is nothing more than filthy rags. And so God must place his righteousness upon us in order to reconcile us, in order to save us from the judgment that our sins deserve. So God promises to save his people. And this promise is linked to the reality that God has eternally established the king and the priesthood. There in verse 15, he says that he will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. And this righteous branch that will sprout from David's line will do what is just and what is right in the land. And and later on in the passage, we see a couple times a promise given to us that the king, that David would have a descendant sitting forever upon the throne of God. This branch that we see here in light of what we read from Isaiah 11 earlier and what we read in other prophets, this branch would have put the Israelite in the context and their thinking in, the, in, the, in mind of a Messiah that would come, that would usher in the true glory for God's people, that would bring this salvation that God has promised. And he promises that this king, this this branch from David line would be the opposite of the kings of Jeremiah's time. He would do what was just. He would do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so God promises that this this righteous branch would come and, and would bring salvation. But not only notice does he promise that this this future king will come, he also promises that the Levitical priesthood 
will be established once and forever for his people. We know from Hebrews 7 that Jesus is a priest forever who has offered the perfect sacrifice, all the sacrifices of Leviticus wrapped up in the sacrifice and the blood that he carried into the throne room of God for the salvation of sinners. But who is the Levitical priesthood that will last forever? Because Jesus was not a Levite. He was from the tribe of Judah and he is declared to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. I'll take a moment and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, just a few pages back. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah in the first 39 chapters declares for the most part, God's judgment and call to repentance. And then from chapter 40 to to, to chapter 66, he focuses most of the time on the suffering servant and the glory that the suffering servant will bring. And And as he's wrapping up his prophecy in Isaiah 66, beginning in verse 18, we hear these words. And I, because of their actions and their imaginations, am about to come. And gather all nations and tongues, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them and will send some of those who survive the nations to Tarshish, to the Libyans and the Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations and they will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots, in wagons and on mules and on camels, said the Lord. They will bring them. The nations will bring them as Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. The prophet Isaiah, several hundred years before Jeremiah, says there will come a time where I will gather all the nations, all the Gentile nations, all the Israelites that have been scattered among the Gentiles, and they will gather at the throne of God. And I will select some of them, some of the Israelites, some of the nations, some of the people of the nations, and I will make them Levites and priests. And Peter picks up on this language in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, we are being made into a nation, a kingdom of priests who will minister before God. So who are the Levitical priests that minister before God for all eternity? You. You. And me, we have the great high priest who who reigns on high as the king and as the prophet who has taken the sacrifice into the temple once and for all. And we are his Levitical priest who offer that intercessory work between the world and the throne of God in offering the gospel to the nations. And so God has eternally established his king and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has called us to be priests before God offering intercession of the gospel. But how do we know for sure that this will happen? Well, God says in verse 20 and in verse 21 of Jeremiah 33, 
Not Isaiah 66. He says in verse 20 and 21, he says, this is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken. Brothers and sisters, how do we know that there will be a king forever seated upon the throne of God? The sun came up this morning. Every time you see the sun come up, every time you see the sun set, you can be assured that God will be faithful to his promise. If we as humans can ever figure out how to stop the earth from rotating so that the sun does not come up tomorrow, then God will break his covenant to have a king eternally seated upon his throne. Of course, if we can do that, we destroy everything and God comes back anyway. So what God is saying here is look out in nature. Look at the laws of nature that march today just as they have always done since the time of creation. The sun rises in the morning, it sets in the evening. The seasons change at their appointed times. Yes, there's fluctuations in temperature here or there, but summer still comes after spring and autumn still comes after summer and winter still comes after fall. As long as that continues to happen, God is faithful to keep his promises. Just like he said to Noah, he says to Jeremiah, that as long as the calendar marches, my promises are secure. Brothers and sisters, do you ever worry and wonder about the promises of God? As long as the sun comes up tomorrow, you have no worries. God will be faithful. And in this instant, he is faithful to keep his promise to have a king and a priesthood that ministers and serves before him. So God was a God who keeps his promise. He has eternally established his king and his priesthood And God is at work despite our external circumstances. Not long after Jeremiah penned these words, the southern kingdom fell. Babylon came in and wiped out the city of Jerusalem, put it under siege for a time. Jeremiah was carried off in chains, telling the people, don't go to Egypt. God will take care of us here. And yet they tried to escape to Egypt. Many of them died along the way. And during this time, after the exile, even while Israel was under siege, many of the nations looked around and said, (laughs) their God has abandoned them. Our God is stronger than their God. And in the ancient Near East, gods were believed to be tied to the land. And if, if an invading country was having success against the country established in the land, it was assumed that the local God had flown the coop had taken off. And yet, even in these dire circumstances that Israel is facing under siege, under threat of war, under ultimate defeat, God reminds them that he is always with them. Remember, he says in this passage, he says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you noticed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two kingdoms he chose? So they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. You ever feel abandoned by God? 
Do you ever think that your circumstances are so overwhelming that that God must have just taken a break in your life? God reminds them of the same promise he did before. He said, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed the laws of heaven and earth, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. So God says the sun rising and setting on a daily basis is not only a reminder of the future hope that you have. It's a reminder that as John 6, 37 says, all those that the Father has given to me will come to me and all that come to me I will never cast out. It's a reminder that at the end of Romans 8, Paul lists all of these things, powers, principalities, death, darkness, all of these things and says, can they separate me from the love of God? Absolutely not. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God will never abandon his people. Yes, at times he pulls away the feeling of his presence, the feeling of his comfort. But as long as the sun comes up tomorrow, brothers and sisters, God is with you. And God will restore you. God will be there to protect you and to save you in the midst of turmoil. Circumstances this year may seem dire. Many of us have lost loved ones. The pandemic seems to still be raging. Employment and family situations may be difficult. Whatever your darkness, there's a temptation to think that God has abandoned you. And that is why all of life is in turmoil. But once again, look to the sun. It rose today. And you should look to the hope of restoration that God offers. So God keeps his promises. God has eternally established the king and the priesthood. And God is at work despite external circumstances. Now, while we don't know for sure, many commentators believe that Jeremiah didn't only write the book of Jeremiah, but he wrote the book of Lamentations as well. You ever read the book of Lamentations? It is a tough, tough read. It's not called Lamentations for nothing. A lament is a deep cry of a sorrowful soul. Whoever wrote the book of Lamentations saw the destruction of Jerusalem, saw the horrors of the invading armies as they went through, as they dashed babies against the walls and against the rocks, as they waded through the blood and the destruction that they were wreaking, as they burned the temple and peeled the gold off the walls. The author of the book of Lamentations watched all this and wept and lamented. And yet in the middle, actually what is in the very middle of the book of Lamentations, which means it's important for us to consider, the author writes this, Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Imagine everything you loved, everything you had built, everything that was yours by the sweat of your brow and the toil of your hands had not only been taken from you, but had been destroyed. You'd be full of bitterness and despair. And yet he finds hope. Where? In the morning. Because when the sun rises, God's mercies are brand new. Brothers and sisters, I get it. If we look too deeply at the world around us, all of us, all the turmoil, all the pain, all the destruction, all the hatred, all the anger. If we look too deeply at this, we will feel like this is anything but the most wonderful time of the year. But take heart. God is faithful. He has provided salvation and reconciliation for his people. He has given hope to the hopeless. And he is at work even in the most dire of circumstances. And even though you may not feel it, you can know it. Because the sun came up this morning. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that we have hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, have, we thank you that we can be assured of that hope every time we see the sunrise. Even when the sky is gray, it still lightens in the morning. We can still know that that sun is up there somewhere. It may be clouded, it may be shielded, it may feel cold and distant, but it is still there reminding us that you are faithful to your promise to save. So we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go today, take this blessing upon you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may all abound in hope. And as we wait expectantly, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.